Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sometimes you just want the quick facts. No opinions, no speculation. I'm Claire Thornton, an audio editor with USA Today. My team works around the clock to bring you the Five Things podcast. Every morning, me and my co-host Taylor Wilson help you know what to keep an eye out for that day. We always have a fresh mix of stories, from politics to entertainment to sports, covering all parts of the country. On Sundays, you can lean back with in-depth episodes about stories you may have heard earlier that week. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows and start listening to Five Things today. Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson, and I'm joined from Tallahassee by Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy. Hey, John. Hello, Zach. And joining me from Pembroke Pines is Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns. Howdy, Antonio. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Well, Governor Ron DeSantis is attracting national attention after a vaccine pop-up clinic his team put together drew complaints of political favoritism. We'll discuss the governor's response to the criticism this week during an appearance at the Lakewood Ranch Clinic. Reports that Ivanka Trump told Marco Rubio she won't challenge him for a Senate seat and legislation aimed at putting new restrictions on vote by mail in Florida. But first... Number picking time, gentlemen. Uh, Antonio, you got a number for us? Yeah, I'm going with 19 this week. All right. How about you, John? Yeah, Zach, I'm keeping it pretty modest here, too. I've got a three. All right. And I will top both of those with a 793. Remember those numbers, folks. Write them down. We'll tell you what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, Governor Ron DeSantis created an uproar in Manatee County that rippled across the state and even attracted national attention this week with CNN, The New York Times and NPR all writing stories. The drama centered on a vaccine clinic that DeSantis pushed for in Lakewood Ranch, which is an upscale community near Sarasota and Bradenton. Lakewood Ranch developer Schroeder Manatee Ranch has given DeSantis political contributions and the vaccines at the Lakewood Ranch Clinic only were offered to residents of two wealthy zip codes, leading to complaints of political favoritism from Manatee County residents and even from Republican commissioners who are allies of the governor. DeSantis drew even more criticism for his response to the complaints. He threatened to send vaccines elsewhere next time, saying, quote, if Manatee County doesn't like us doing this, then we are totally fine with putting this in counties that want it. The situation became more controversial when it was revealed that the Man- a Manatee County Commissioner who helped DeSantis set up the clinic sent an email instructing a county staffer to put five names, including her own and the CEO of Schroeder Manatee Ranch on the vaccination list. That led to criticism that the commissioner created a VIP vaccination list and prompted the League of Women Voters president in Manatee County to allege corruption. John, let's start with the governor's response to all this. What do you make of him threatening to send extra vaccines to communities that don't complain about stuff like this? Oh, I know. It's so absolutely tone deaf. I mean, just from a political standpoint, 
it completely left him open for attacks from Democrats and public health experts. And uh, as you point out, Zach, even a few Republicans who are accusing him of uh, playing politics with vaccine distribution. And of course, this comes after Florida has already drawn attention for the the wide disparity that exists with a uh, far greater number of white Floridians than black Floridians getting vaccinated, for example. And a uh, health news site called uh, Stat just recently reported uh, a study that showed Florida was among four states with the highest gap in vaccination rates between rich and poor. Now, you know, some of this is rooted in demographics, uh, the way the governor has set Floridians aged 65 and older as the priority for vaccines. You may be roping in a relatively better off population uh, generally in Florida. And uh, then, of course, the criticism DeSantis took for uh, making the supermarket chain Publix, the, the main pharmacy distributor of vaccines in the state. And of course, public stores tend to uh, steer clear of minority neighborhoods. Uh, DeSantis's uh, tone deafness was even more apparent since he and the state's emergency managers have pushed for churches and local leaders to reach minorities where they live and to boost immunization uh, confidence. Uh, So in other words, like he could have deflected some of this uh, criticism that he left himself open to by sort of taunting uh, those that are criticizing him that he'll just take it elsewhere. You know, instead, he could have mentioned having recently gone to Pahokee in Western Palm Beach County to meet with uh, a former NFL star there, uh, Anquan Bolden, for a a vaccination event in that heavily minority farming community. Uh, So, you know, here I am coaching DeSantis on how he he could have tried to uh, paper <laughs> over or deflect the bad statistics on vaccine distribution, but the governor was blind to his own PR possibilities, instead just doubling down and bullying with the comment that, hey, if you don't want the vaccines, I'll take it elsewhere. And, and, and his, you know, the governor has been kind of reflexively, um, you know, defensive about his response and, and, and kind of combative with the media. Do you think that that served him him well here? I mean, Threatening uh, to to not give vaccines or you know extra vaccines, he's still giving them their regular allotment. But even so, I mean, threatening not to give some uh, proportion of vaccines if you complain. I mean, it's people's right to complain about their government, right? Oh, absolutely. I know. It just shows the the, the strong arm tactics that he's willing to use to just, you know, keep his uh, it's his way or the highway. Right. I mean, that, that has been a, uh, a hallmark of the DeSantis administration, uh, his his scores on, uh, you know, the empathy meter are uh, pretty negative. So, uh, you know, this is just another example of it, except in, in this case, I think he he's really damaged himself and uh, has, has gone over the top with this response. Antonio, this is a pretty explosive issue. The idea that politicians are doling out life-saving drugs in a pandemic based on political considerations, is this one that could haunt DeSantis? Well, gentlemen, here we go again with another episode of Vaccine Hunger Games in Florida. Yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> Absolutely one of one of those fairness and equity issues that will rub people really wrong. Now, will it come back to haunt the governor? Well, if this issue were a standalone, a one-off, an isolated event, probably not. There'd be the momentary uproar and then we move on to something else. But I think as John just noted, it's not an isolated issue. This question of uneven distribution. There have been concerns geographically about where the vaccine is being given out. And where it's not, there have been concerns, particularly among the black and Latino lower income communities that don't have saying that they don't have the same accessibility. You know, 
And in particular, when it comes to black and Latino households in Florida, bear in mind that many of the people in those households are your essential workers, the ones that are keeping this economy going. These are also households that are multi-generational. So if you could get the grandparents in those households vaccinated, it alleviates a lot of stress and risk because the younger members of the household are going to be out and about in the workforce. Now, combined with this, combined with a number of other instances of inefficient and uneven vaccine distribution, really does weave a very unfavorable narrative that this state, led by this governor, doesn't have an equitable plan to get Florida's 20 million residents protected. And let's be clear, this is the issue in Florida. Everything revolves around it, not just protecting the health of vulnerable vulnerable Floridians, uh, of which we have a large share, but also getting the state's economy back to full employment and sizzling growth. It all comes down to this, getting an even and efficiently distributed vaccination program. Now, neither was it helpful, like John mentioned, and you guys have talked about that for the government to respond by saying, well, you know, if you don't like it, I'll yank the mobile vaccination unit of Manatee County, we'll send it somewhere else. Look, uh, I spoke to one GOP strategist this week who made this point. DeSantis likes to play the Trump playbook, but he is not Donald Trump. You do not see DeSantis 2022 flags on pickup trucks in the state. You don't see DeSantis boat parades in our intercoastals. There isn't clamoring for a DeSantis political rallies with thousands of people. This strategist pointed out that DeSantis was very popular early in his term when he was his own man on issues like the environment, water quality, teacher salaries, when he removed Broward Sheriff Scott Israel and Palm Beach County Elections Chief Susan Booker and quickly appointed three state Supreme Court justices. Those were actions, the strategist told me, those were actions that spoke cumulatively uh, to his hands-on, that he was getting things done, and it boosted his popularity. Why? Because they showed leadership. They demonstrated an ability to identify a problem and then solve it. You know, since the coronavirus pandemic and is leaning on Trumpian tactics, his popularity has suffered. As this strategist said, it's time for DeSantis to be DeSantis. Antonio, it's true. I mean, he's he's not Trump. He doesn't command that type of uh, attention or following. But, uh, you know, he has he has been a bit of a darling um, in conservative media. He's been on Fox News a lot. He went on Fox News to do damage control uh, the last couple of days over this vaccine clinic. There is some buzz that his sort of combativeness with the media is actually endearing him to the GOP base and, and getting him some attention nationally in Republican politics and maybe helping him lay the groundwork to run for president in 20. 24. Um, you, you think that went to his head a little bit and that, that he took it too far on this one? No, I mean, look, I, I, that's a very quest. The same, I asked the same question to, you know, this GOP operative and, and what they told me, okay, that's great, but he's got to win re-election in 2022. The fact of the matter is, while, yes, while getting on Fox News, playing a Trump card, yeah, that works with the Republican base in this state. But remember, he only won election by 30,000 votes. He can't just win with the Republican base, with the Trump base. He's got to have a bigger tent. And this is going to jeopardize that ability. Yeah, in 2024, for a, a Republican you know, presidential nomination, that, that strategy works great. But if your plan is to first get reelected in 2022, coming off a 30,000 vote win, in 2018, you got to expand your base more than that. And speaking of 2022, uh, it was interesting to see Florida Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed, the only statewide elected Democrat, she really 
pounced on this and was hammering DeSantis. She's done that with other issues throughout the pandemic. But this, um, you know, she was on, I believe, CNN uh, yesterday. She's she's really tried to go after him over the you know alleged favoritism with this vaccine clinic. She seems to think that it, um, you know, that that uh, this was a misstep by him, and it, it it does seem to indicate that she is very much gearing up to run for governor uh, on the Democratic ticket in 2022. Well, while DeSantis was dealing with the fallout from the Lakewood Ranch vaccine clinic, Senator Marco Rubio got some good news about his upcoming election. Ivanka Trump bought property in Miami and has been living there since uh, the presidential election. And there were reports that she might challenge Rubio in 2022, but Ivanka met with Rubio recently and a Rubio spokesman said she told the senator she has no plans to challenge him. Antonio Rubio crossed former President Trump by voting to certify the Electoral College results, but he was very vocal about opposing impeachment. I mean, repeatedly saying that it was stupid and, and just um, going uh, you know, on Fox and, and just uh, you know, hollering to whoever would hear it that he was really against impeachment. Is this payback for falling in line? Well, look, the fact of the matter is, unlike some other congressional Republicans, Rubio did behave himself. He called the impeachment stupid and dumb, and those are big point words if you're playing uh, Trump Scrabble. He showed a dismissive attitude during the proceedings, also way to curry favor among the anti-decorum crowd. I mean, all he needed to do was just show up in the Senate chamber one day wearing one of those QAnon shaman horn helmet hats, and that would have topped it all off. But look, in seriousness, I also wonder how much this decision was really about Ivanka Trump herself. More precisely, her prospects for unseating an incumbent Republican senator who remains very popular among Florida Republicans. Look, I, I've made no secret in the past that you know, I grew up in Miami. I'm a 305 guy. I spend my weekends down there as I go around seeing relatives and friends, obviously always at a socially distant, you know, rules. But, you know, and I've, I've wondered in the past month as we've been talking about this off and on, I've wondered, you know, how Ivanka would play, for example, in greater Miami's neighborhoods, those Latino bastions that are Rubio's stronghold. How would she play in working class Hialeah and in middle class Westchester and along the Calle Ocho district and in what we call La Sahuacera, those unincorporated communities with Southwest directional addresses? Biddle's act for those Latino Republican leaning communities in Central Florida that you wrote about ahead of last November's election. Uh, at the end of the day, I think Rubio would really have to anger the Trump base to lose in these communities, and he showed in the impeachment trial that he would protect his standing with Trump Nation. And if Rubio has those Hispanic communities in his corner, it would be really, really hard to dislodge him in a Republican primary. Plus, there is one other aspect about Marco Rubio that you cannot discount. We rarely talk about this, and it goes under the radar, but Rubio is an avid boater and fisherman. That connects with outdoors outdoors Florida Republicans. The boating and fishing community is tightly bound and would be yet another hurdle for Ivanka to surmount if she were tried to, to, to run against him. Uh, you know, elections are about math and the math here for Ivanka seemed not to add up. And again, Rubio would really have to run afoul of the Trump base to lose the primary. And he clearly wasn't going to do it. And it looks like Ivanka, if, if even if she was seriously interested, may have concluded it was just going to be too steep a hill to climb. That said, the Biden administration and congressional Democrats just unveiled their immigration reform legislation. That's a topic that became a political landmine for Rubio back in 2013 and arguably cost him the 2016 Republican presidential nomination. So 
stay tuned because we're going to be hearing more about this. So good news for Rubio uh, here. And, and he also got some some good news. Matt Gates, the firebrand uh, Republican uh, Trump supporting congressman up in the, the panhandle who um, has a high uh, profile within uh, the GOP nationally and, and in Florida has said that he wouldn't um, challenge Rubio uh, in a Senate primary. He could have been a pretty uh, strong opponent. So no Ivanka, no Matt Gates. It, it seems like at this point that Rubio, um, you know, uh, his uh, you know, will not face a, a difficult uh, effort to hold on to the Republican nomination, at least. We'll see uh, whether Democrats come up with somebody strong to run against him. Well, as Rubio and DeSantis gear up for the 2022 election, their allies in the Florida legislature are looking to reshape the rules around voting in Florida, including vote by mail, even though Florida had a pretty smooth election in 2020 and there weren't any big problems with mail voting. John, you've been covering this legislation. What should people know about it? Yeah, well, the bill that's most worth watching is Senator uh, Dennis Baxley's Senate Bill 90, which overhauls uh, vote by mail, which was widely successful and uh, very well used in Florida. But the key here is it was used more by Democrats than Republicans. Um, Baxley's bill changes how long a voter's request for a mail ballot stays valid. Uh, Current law allows you to ask once and then get a mail ballot for two consecutive general elections. Baxley would change that to just one election. Uh, Even more disruptive, though, Baxley's bill, if it becomes law, also would require everyone who asked for a mail ballot last year to go back in and request another ballot for next year. Uh, Election supervisors are warning that this is going to be a logistical nightmare, basically with people thinking that, you know, they're going to get a ballot and now suddenly they're not going to get a ballot. So uh, they'll have to do another round of mailings, they say, which are costly. And uh, the idea, though, by Baxley seems to be that he's hoping a lot of these requests and maybe these voters, too, will just go away. Um, you, you have to ask, you know, why is Baxley so intent on the change? Well, consider that Governor Ron DeSantis is expected to run for re-election next year, and Democrats currently hold a stunning 812,474 voter lead over Republicans in mail ballot requests from 2020. That's according to the Division of Elections. Uh, about 45% of the Democrats voted by mail in November compared with 31% of, in Florida uh, of Republicans. And uh, of, of course, that imbalance was fueled by former President Trump, who discouraged voting by mail. Uh, he was insisting, of course, without evidence that the practice was uh, rife with fraud. So this is the kind of stuff that Republican legislators do. They they reduced early voting days back in 2011 in advance of uh, President Obama's re-election, only to have to bring those days back after the 2012 election uh, because there were so many long lines and outrageous stories of voters waiting for hours to cast ballots. And, uh, you know, there's more things this year, too, that they're looking to do. The Republican-led legislature may change laws that govern poll watchers, voter identification, and how uh, drop boxes are made available at polling sites. this kind of table tilting uh, is going on in states across the country with uh, Republican legislators looking to do most of the ballot access limitations and uh, Democratic legislators pushing generally for more easier access. Now, um, a lot of these Republican efforts are in states where Trump lost. But, uh, you know, remember, Florida went heavily for Trump. Uh, I had an elections expert tell me this week that just imagine how many election law changes we'd see if Trump had actually lost Florida. 
And John, uh, it should be noted that Republicans have been in control in Tallahassee for uh, two decades now. These vote by mail rules that they're looking to change, these are rules that they created back when, um, you know, vote by mail was, uh, you know, the, the Republicans did very well in vote by mail historically, and it was a strong suit for the party. And so these are rules that they set up when, uh, you know, they were doing well in vote by mail. And now that Democrats are doing much better in vote by mail and Republicans have shifted more to early voting and in-person voting because Donald Trump has strongly criticized vote by mail, they're looking to change these rules that they created. Yeah, yeah. And they certainly don't want to have DeSantis facing a disadvantage in uh, ballots that are already being sent out to voters uh, when 2022 comes along. Antonio, any any thoughts on uh, this uh, vote by mail changes? Well, gentlemen, you know, all politics is local and vote by mail politics is as local as it gets here in Palm Beach County. A year ago, ahead of the March 17th presidential primary, uh, that, that voting actually coincided with the COVID-19 pandemic descending on Florida, and it created significant heartburn and disruptions for Palm Beach County Supervisor of Elections, Wendy Link. Older poll workers, for example, started calling in by the hundreds to say they would not show up for the polls, that this was a couple of days before the actual voting, uh, same-day voting on the 17th. And they, they said they were afraid of contracting the virus. At, at that time, it was, you know, the, the epidemic was, the pandemic was beginning in Florida and, and people were scared. And that meant that a lot of the polls on that March 17th uh, presidential primary date, that a lot of the polls opened late. Many were chronically short-staffed throughout the day, and it was a miracle that you know, Lincoln and her staff were able to get through that election. So to get ready for the August primary and then the November general election, Link really pushed vote by mail, not only for public health reasons, but for to, you know, for efficient use of resources. The more people that voted by mail, the less stress on the system. As a result, Palm Beach County, which has been a poster child for election debacles in the past, had one of the smoothest general elections ever that I recall, uh, even amid a once in a century pandemic. So as far as this county is concerned, and again, a county that has been dogged by so many problems in the past, officials here say vote by mail works just fine. And it was a lifesaver, literally in the 2020 election. So as uh, Wendy Link told our Christine Stapleton to the Palm Beach Post, you know, quote unquote, it's one of those, if it's not broken, don't fix it type of things. Yeah. And, and that's, it's, it's worth pointing out again, you know, Florida has a history of election uh, dysfunction. This is one of the first elections in a while where there's been no issues and yet we're still changing the rules here. So that's, um, you know, just worth pointing out. John, uh, we'll move on to some numbers here. You had uh, a three. Uh, you want to tell us about that? I did. Uh, three is three years, and that's how long it's expected to take Florida's tourist industry to recover from the coronavirus pandemic. These uh, new numbers reported this week show that the state had 86.7 million visitors in 2020. Now, that's down 34% from the previous year, and it was the lowest visitor numbers in a decade. Um, you know, no surprise, of course, with the virus shutting down so much of travel. But um, I think it's safe to say that much of the state's unemployment and budget problems, uh, state and local, are caused by the disappearance of tourists. And uh, at the state level, about 15 percent of general revenue is directly attributed to tourist spending. So, you know, all those meals, hotel bills and Mickey Mouse T-shirts add up to a lot of cash that in turn 
uh, that, that that's used to help finance schools, healthcare, social services, and so much more. But um, Visit Florida, the state's tourist marketing arm, has been trying to promote uh, drive-in travel from East Coast states predominantly. And uh, they're even trying to promote Floridians to tour their own state. But state economists uh, have conceded that the, the tourists who drive into Florida don't spend the same amount of money as foreign visitors or other domestic travelers who, who come in here by flight. Uh, the, the Biden administration has recently reinstated travel restrictions that were lifted by former President Trump on uh, much of Europe, Brazil, and, uh, and they added South Africa because of concerns about uh, COVID variants. So uh, that could further discourage Florida tourism in the uh, short term anyway. But uh, the, 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 this reality wasn't enough for Governor Ron DeSantis and fellow Republican Marco Rubio. They, they've been attacking Biden for considering what they insist is a ban on domestic travel to Florida with uh, DeSantis in a fundraising letter saying that Biden is, quote, trying to shut Florida's borders. And uh, Rubio this week went on Fox News to say that the president was trying to punish Florida. Um, in public appearances so far, Biden spokespeople and uh, federal officials have uh, stressed that no policy announcements regarding domestic travel restrictions are coming soon. And there's also even a question whether a president can you know, actually shut down travel into a state. But it, it looks like a, a good chance for Republicans in this case to uh, stir up animosity in Florida against the White House, uh, especially since so many Floridians are deeply dependent on these tours. Yeah, tourism, you can't really overstate how important it is to Florida. Some of the, I read something recently that um, people, there's surveys that show people are still uh, very reluctant to fly, at least a large number of people. And, and until, you know, people feel more comfortable flying, you know, Florida can't um, get back to the, the big tourism numbers just based on drive-in um, tourists alone. So the flying is key and, and that's all about the virus and, and whether people, um, you know, uh, feel like uh, the virus is under control or how, um, how much people get vaccinated, things like that. So, uh, definitely uh, a big issue in a state like Florida. Antonio, your number was 19. Well, tell us about that. Yeah, gentlemen, it is 19 days until the 2021 city elections in Delray Beach, Florida. <clears throat> now, gentlemen, our listeners have probably been hearing a lot about the uh, civil war in the Republican Party. Well, there are also hostilities brewing among some Palm Beach, Democratic can can Palm Beach County Democrats and it is all focused on the mayor's race in Delray Beach. Now, in all fairness, it would be way overstating things to say it's a civil war, but it is decidedly a firefight among Democrats who are exchanging not-so-friendly fire among themselves, uh, specifically in that race for mayor it, that will be decided 19 days from now on March 9th. Now, the issue is that there is a squad of breakaway Democratic precinct leaders who are helping mayoral mayoral rival Tracy Caruso run against incumbent Shelley Petrolia. Now, this is a nonpartisan race, but Mayor Petrolia is a, a Democrat. Rival Tracy Caruso is the wife of Republican State Representative Mike Caruso. She is running as an MPA, but she filed her paperwork last November to run a day before she actually changed her registration from Republican to non-politically affiliated. So, you know, Democrats also charge that Caruso is a member of the group, the Trumpets, which is this uh, high society group of very fervent Trump supporters located on, on Palm Beach Island. And, you know, Caruso says she's not a member of the Trumpets, but 
there are a lot of photos that were circulating of her in, in that crowd. And you know, of course, among Democrats, you know, it's bad enough to be a Republican, but to be a Trump Republican would be even worse. Now, again, this is a nonpartisan race, but you guys see where I'm going with this, right? The fact that Tracy Caruso is drawing help from Democrats has led to some really blistering, ugly, ugly attacks among the Democrats in Delray Beach. And it sparked allegations that this is part of a larger effort by Florida Republicans to elbow Democrats out of power from nonpartisan posts, even in blue cities. And all the more maddening they say is they're doing so with an assist from Democrats. Now, underlying all of this, of course, are standard municipal election politics around redevelopment and allegations that key city residents in in Delray Beach, in particular, black residents who feel that they've been ignored by the city's power establishment. Uh, this is why uh, Palm Beach Post reporter Wendy Rhodes reported last week that Democrats have open fire on each other. And in fact, a couple of weeks ago, Terry Rizzo, former chair of the Florida Democratic Party, but who continues as chair of the Palm Beach Democratic Party, sent a loyalty oath to Democratic Party leaders as the battle in Delray grew, you know, grew beyond or, or spilled beyond the borders of the city to draw in at least to some degree the Democratic Party establishment in the county. So again, we can't say this is really a Democratic civil war in Florida, akin to the Republican civil war on the national stage, except maybe in Delray where Democrat Democratic partisans in this, in this southern Palm Beach County city are in open warfare in what is known as the village by the sea. All right. Well, we're watching that to see um, you know what kind of implications there are for uh, politics throughout the state. Well, my number is 793. That's the number of black residents in Manatee County who have received the COVID-19 vaccine. Just 1.2% of the vaccines in Manatee County have gone to black residents, even though they make up 9.3% of the county's population. Meanwhile, just 1.7% of the vaccines in Manatee have gone to uh, Hispanic residents, even though they make up 17% of Manatee County's population. The inequity in vaccine distribution in Manatee County is another reason why the Lakewood Ranch pop-up clinic serving two wealthy white zip codes generated such outrage. It played into the sense among some people that rich white people who live in communities with political connections are getting priority over poor black and brown people who don't have political clout. That's not just a Manatee County story. The data is similar across Florida and across the country. Well, that wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio guru, Thomas Cordy, and thanks to all of you for listening. Stay safe. We're out of here.